obviously I love personally love cooking I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of it but at the end of the day it's really for for our customers all we really want to see is happy faces at the end of a meal and that that really gives us a lot of satisfaction it's very rewarding for us so that's yeah really why we do it and why we love it this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Pop-ups are nothing new in the hospitality space and have been used for all manner of projects from celebrating a cuisine, concepts, ideas, and even as a low-cost way to create your own offering for the public. Some pop-ups embrace the spirit of progression and are not just places to dine and imbibe, but positive environments for change too. Ellie Hayes O'Brien is the head chef and co-owner of Babs Pops Up. Ellie, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You're um, part of a team doing something pretty exciting uh, in the pop-up space. Um, Tell us a bit about Babs Pops Up. Um, So Babs Pops Up is a project that I started with my business partner, Beck Shave, um, sort of mid last year. We started doing events. Um, And basically the concept was to do a monthly a pop-up event at a different space each time, um, sort of executing a different concept, a different cuisine, and having a different team of incredible women work the floor and back of house for each one. How did the, when did the idea come about? Tell us about the beginnings of it. Um, I guess the idea was sort of born during lockdown. Um, Beck and I were working together at Rising Sun and obviously had a little bit more time on our hands to sort of spin ideas and and think about concepts. Um, We'd always wanted to do something together. We just weren't really sure what form that would take. So, because everything was still feeling quite volatile um, in the world and, and in the hospitality industry in particular, we decided to just start with pop-up temporary events. Um, we didn't feel quite confident enough to sort of throw our life savings into a bricks and mortar um, venue at that time. Um, so we thought we still want to do something, but let's just do something temporary. What was it like sort of uh, when you started? Was there any sort of uh, challenges getting it all up and running? Well, I mean, pop-ups are pretty chaotic in their nature, no matter how organised you are. So, um, definitely doing our first one was a really big learning curve. Um, We sort of ended up prepping way too much food and, you know, really put ourselves through the ringer to get that ready. And once we got there, realised that we'd probably um, gone a little overboard. Um, But yeah, it was fantastic. And we learnt so much from from that first night, um, just about how to run the events and the service and the timing of things. And obviously got a lot of great feedback from that first event, which we applied to the following events. You're in uh, on Enmore Road uh, these days. Tell us a bit about the site and how that came about and what you're doing there. Yeah, so we're on Enmore Road, which we're really stoked about. I think it's one of the most exciting places to be right now for for hospitality. Um, so many incredible businesses on this strip. Um, so we're really glad to be joining the neighbourhood. Um, so the site that we've popped up in was the Saga site. Um, 
so Andy Bowdy um, and his partner Maddie ran that site. Andy Bowdy's very famous for his cakes. Um, so they were running that site as a cafe bakery for uh, about six years, I believe. Um, they've now moved to another site in Rosebury and uh, sort of doing a little bit of a different offering over there. And the site was available. Um, so we decided to jump in um, for three months and sort of do something a little more permanent than we have been doing, but still with that pop-up energy, I guess. Has, has it been different given that you've taken, you know, a short-term lease as opposed to a sort of a pop-up? Is it, is it, does it feel different running the business? It does. It feels a little more serious, I guess, for us. And there was a lot more, um, I guess, admin involved getting it up and running, um, as well as sort of working on the space and changing things around to make it work for our concept. Um, you know, there's just so many more um, administrative things we've found in sort of setting up uh, a bit more of a proper business. What, what's it been like um, so far? You know, you've already built a sort of, a, you know, a client base and they've followed, followed you around. But, you know, with, this, with a short lease, what's, what's the headspace now? Do you feel like it's, you know, bricks and mortar moving forward is something that you want to do? I think definitely. I mean, it was an idea that I was always a little bit on the fence about. I didn't know if that was going to be the end goal for me, having our own place. But now that we've sort of done it in in a sense, um, we love it so much and it feels so lovely to have a place to call home and it, it already feels like home, you know, and we've only been open for a week and I can definitely see the appeal of you know, having your own little space and not having to do the really hectic setup and pack down of a pop-up every time we want to do an event. <laughs> cool. Well, I want to explore sort of what you're doing there and, and also your cooking uh, in a little bit, but take mm. us back to when you were young. Where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? I am a Sydney girl through and through. I grew up in Chippendale. Um, my parents are still there in the house I grew up in. Um but obviously, this is not the Chippendale we know now. Um, <laughs> it's definitely gotten a lot more bougie and, um, you know, there's places to eat there now and that kind of thing. It was still very much um, a bit of an industrial zone when I was growing up. Um, the brewery was still there. So, my entire childhood sort of um, memory is coloured with the smell of hops and malt and everything. Um but, yeah, there wasn't really anywhere to eat out. That wasn't really a big part of my life as a child. Um, so it was very much home-cooked meals, um, pretty classic fare from mum, like meat and three veg, spaghetti bolognese, that kind of vibe. Um, my dad was a slightly more exotic cook. He'd spent, you know, quite a bit of time travelling around as a young man, so he had sort of picked up a few skills in the arts of curry making and making handmade rotis and things like that. So that was sort of my first introduction to bigger flavours and heat and spice and um, I used to love that kind of food as a kid. So, yeah, that was sort of the the standard sort of dinner fare but my mum um, was a fantastic baker. Like she's really fantastic at making sweets, like very country women's association kind of vibe uh, classics. So 
I, yeah, definitely witnessed her sort of pouring over the stove to make a lot of things like that when I was growing up for family and friends. So, yeah, there was, there was cooking happening for sure. When did you first sort of start getting interested in food and consider a career in hospitality? I got really interested in food very young. Um, I'd say sort of primary school age, I just sort of independently developed this really strong interest in food. I watched a lot of cooking shows, like the few that were on back then, um, and started reading cookbooks and that kind of thing. And I just sort of developed a bit of a natural interest in food. And I started cooking and experimenting quite young and um, was sort of cooking dinner for the family by about eight or nine, I think. (laughs) But I loved it. I just found it really fun. And, you know, instead of watching cartoons, I was watching like Jamie Oliver's cooking shows and the Two Fat Ladies. You remember that one? And um, yeah, I, I was fascinated. Give us... Can you give us a sort of a typical meal or a signature dinner that you did that you remember from back then? I remember the first kind of slightly complicated thing I made was a um, a pissaladier, the big sort of onion tarts. Um, that was in one of my parents' old cookbooks and I made the pastry and the filling and um, was very proud of that achievement. That's amazing. Well, tell us about the sort of first steps into a career as a chef. Where did you sort of get your foot in the door and what was it like? Well, I didn't actually sort of end up circling back to cooking professionally until I was in my mid-20s. Um, I became really, really obsessed with film and writing and everything in my teenage years and I decided I wanted to be a screenwriter. So I went and studied that and I worked in production for the first half of my 20s um, and then just sort of had that feeling in my gut that it wasn't going to be my forever job um, and that that passion for food was still very much there and it was getting louder and louder again. So I decided it was time to, to try at least to get into the industry. What was it like when you sort of got in? Was it different to what you expected? I don't know what I expected, really. Um, I mean, I had no commercial experience at that point and I at least understood that cooking at home and cooking in a kitchen professionally were two very different things. Um, But I sort of didn't really know where to start and I had a little look online and I saw that the Apollo in Potts Point was advertising for an apprentice. Um, So I jumped online and I wrote a little cover letter about how much I loved cooking and um, sort of why I wanted to get into it professionally. And um, they called me back straight away and and had me in for an interview and sort of said that my cover letter had caught their attention regardless of my lack of experience. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they got me in for a trial and threw me on a section on a Friday night and I survived, so I got the job. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any stories of uh, what it was like working in that kitchen? Oh, it was chaotic. Like, that was a really big, busy kitchen. Um, We were doing big numbers every night. It was a big, busy team. Um, So, it was quite overwhelming to – 
walk in never having experienced that before and just have to get used to the pace and the the chaos and everything very quickly. Um, But it was great. I worked with some fantastic people there. My head chef at the time really took me under his wing. His name was Josh Davidson and um, really sort of took his his role as, as a trainer of an apprentice very seriously. And I think that's quite hard to come by. So I was very lucky to have someone invest so much time and energy into me. Yeah. You, you mentioned Josh. It's, has there been other people uh, as you've built your career and venues that have sort of been really important and integral in your development? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think someone else who who was really influential at that first job at the Apollo was uh, Christine, the pastry chef who was working there. She was the only other female in the kitchen and so we bonded very quickly and I think just watching the way that she navigated that world was really um, informative for me and she sort of taught me to you know, remember why I was there, put my head down, focus and sort of let everything else wash over me. And that was a really good lesson early on. There's a lot of people that say the culture in kitchens has changed quite a lot. What's been your experience over your career? I think it's changed. Yeah, absolutely. It's changed a lot. Um, I mean, when I first started 10 years ago, there was still very much that old school mentality, I guess. Um there was a lot more yelling and crying and, <laughs> you know, things getting thrown and people getting sworn at and that kind of thing. That was just how it was back then, you know. The the fear was real. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think things are definitely changing um, and it's becoming a little bit more of an approachable industry for people, which is fantastic because it really needn't be so serious and scary. It's really supposed to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) What's some of the venues that that you've worked in through your career? Um, So after the Apollo, I sort of floated around for a little bit, tried a few things out, helped some mates. And then the next sort of big influential job for me was landing with the Pinbone Chefs. Um, Mike Eggett and Gemma Whiteman, um, they were doing incredible pop-ups at the time. Um, and I had attended one of theirs and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I loved their food. I loved the sort of fast and loose vibe of the venues that they were running. Um, and when they started their, um, Mr. Licker's Dirty Italian Disco pop-up at, uh, out at Mascot, I jumped on the team with them then and that was definitely a really big turning point for me. I learned so much working with them. Like Gemma is incredible um, and, you know, Mike taught me how to make pasta and that became a really big thing for me. It sort of became my, my specialty. They they had incredible success uh, with the various pop-ups that they did. Have you taken cues from your experiences with them for what you do? Absolutely. Um, I think that they did that model so well um, and I definitely learnt a lot about how to sort of make that, that um, concept work and just like the, the very different environment that it provides. Like it's a little bit more exciting and... Um, and chaotic and stuff and I think you can be a little bit more 
sort of creative and fast and loose with your cooking in those kind of settings? A lot of um, chefs we've had on the show have had sort of a pivotal moment in their career, which sort of switched things on or sent them to the down a path that sort of that um, that they're on. Has there been a moment for you that's been really sort of pivotal? I think probably the most pivotal thing in you know, in recent times has been starting this project, this Babs project. Um, I mean, I've obviously worked with a lot of incredible people and had really amazing moments of learning at so many restaurants around Sydney. Um, Working at Cafe Parsi was really fantastic. Um, I loved working with him. I got to make pasta there as well, which was so fun. Um, But, yeah, I think sort of taking this step um, to create something that, is very reflective of me personally, um, has been a really good, like really big sort of moment um, for me in my career and I feel like everything's changed for the better. I want to get into that in a sec, but I can't pass up, pass up the conversation about Passy Patanen. Um, he's, he's quite an enigma and a, and a lovely chap, but um, what's been your experience? Have you any stories of, of working with him? Um, well, I was actually working there right up until the first lockdown hit. Um, so I have a very vivid memory of that day, our first shutting up shop, um, when everyone was absolutely freaking out. Um, but yeah, I think every everything about working with Parsi was great. He is such an intelligent, interesting chef. I learned so much. I feel like he cooks in a way that no one else does in Sydney and being able to just be around him and have conversations about recipes and stuff is really valuable. Um, but yeah, I was really stoked that my pasta experience sort of carried me over and I, I got to make pasta there. He had a really fantastic Italian chef there at the time who was sort of the pasta lord, I guess. And um, it took me a little while to sort of win him over. But once he he tried my pasta, I think he uh, had a bit more respect for me. And that was a nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your technique with pasta. You know, I mean, it's a pretty common ingredient for most households, but, you know, great pasta. Um, what, what does it take to make great pasta? I think it takes beautiful eggs to start with, um, very important. Um, I think, I mean, everyone uses a slightly different recipe, but I use a pretty egg-enriched dough, so it's really um, sort of luxurious and silky. And then I think the rest of pasta making is really intuitive um, and it's one of those really lovely things that you just get better and better at um, once you develop a feel for it. Um, but I think maybe what separates sort of home home pasta and restaurant pasta is the way we roll the dough and the way we laminate our dough um, to give it integrity and structure and give it that real bite. Um, and that's just something that you develop by feel over, over a, a long time of doing it. Um, but it's something I really enjoy and I find really sort of soothing and relaxing. Like I could just stand there and roll pasta all day and I'd be happy. <laughs> you mentioned uh, that uh, you remember quite vividly the day that you had to close down because of um, COVID and the pandemic. Mm. Um, how much has the sort of last couple of years changed you and sort of what you want to get out of your career as a result of that sort of period of time? I think it almost had a, a positive effect um, for, for me and Beck. It, it sort of made us hungry again, I think. Um, we 
I guess, took that that time to sort of reflect on not only everything we've done in the past in our careers, but everything we would like to achieve and sort of having that taken away from you for a little while and not being able to cook or serve customers in a busy restaurant, it really made us appreciate what we do, I guess. And it made us really hungry to to sort of keep going and keep creating beautiful experiences for people. We're just so, so happy that we can do that again. Tell us a little bit about um, the name of the restaurant and, and the concept of what you're doing. So, the restaurant's called Babs. Um, we sort of named it after Barbara Streisand as a bit of a nostalgic joke between me and Beck because both of our mothers listened to her a lot when we were younger. Um, but I sort of became obsessed with her in my own right during lockdown, actually. I, I sat down and I watched all of her films and I just fell in love with her. Like, she's such a badass. She's so quick and passionate and funny and you know outspoken and stubborn and we just sort of felt that she would be the perfect mascot for what we were trying to do um so yeah we sort of named it after her and we've incorporated a lot of nostalgic elements um from our mothers as well I guess whether that's through crockery or dessert recipes or things like that so it's sort of a bit of a a full circle moment (laughs) Tell us a little bit about uh, your cooking and your approach to food and maybe a dish or two that you can take us through that exemplifies that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say that my cooking is pretty rooted in sort of um, Italian um, and Spanish and French flavours, but with a pretty strong um, Asian influence ingredients-wise. Um, I don't really like using the word fusion, but um, I do really enjoy using um, Japanese and Korean ingredients to sort of boost flavour in my cooking. Um, but, yeah, I'm a pretty cowboy kind of chef. I sort of just cook what I, <laughs> I cook what I like to eat and what I think people might enjoy. I try to have fun with it. Nothing I cook is sort of really super serious or highly technical. Um, I want my food to be fun and approachable and, you know, maybe something a little bit different that someone hasn't tried before but not something so sort of foreign that someone's not going to order it. Um, Take us through a dish or two and um, that sort of exemplifies what you're doing. Um, well, one of the dishes I sort of have on the menu, uh, at the moment, one of my pastas is, a a like a pippy spaghetti that I do that, um, I make all the time. And I guess that's a good example of the, the combination of ingredients. You know, it's quite an Italian dish, um, conceptually, but I, you know, often use a little bit of dashi or shrimp paste or, you know, I use different seaweeds and stuff to make um, broths to sort of infuse my sauce. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of a fusion dish, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, that's a really simple, just steamed clams in a beautiful sort of like spicy, fishy, tomatoey sauce uh, with hand-rolled spaghetti. Um, the end. <laughs> Um, you've you've joined forces with Rebecca Shave. Tell us a little bit about her and uh, and how you work together. 
Yeah, so Beck um, basically takes care of all our front of house um, offerings. So she's our beverage manager, she's our host, um, and she is someone who I met working at Rising Sun. Um, she's got 10 years of experience in the industry. She's absolutely fantastic at what she does. She really um, is a natural born host to a room. You know, she knows how to make everyone feel welcome and, and looked after and considered. Um, and her and I have always just worked really well together and, and been friends outside of work as well. And I think we just have a very similar vision for the kind of experiences we want to give people. And we enjoy the same kind of things. Like we love going out and having a long boozy Sunday lunch together. And, um, you know, we love the culture of the industry and we're both really active participants in it. And, um, yeah, we just, between the two of us, sort of have everything covered, we feel. Obviously, we have other, su other support staff come in and help us. But, um, yeah, it's really our vision and a, a very sort of accurate representation of us, I feel. I remember many moons ago when Bodega landed on the scene and they were walk-in only. Everyone thought they were mad in the industry. Um, it's something that you guys are doing. What's the sort of benefits and challenges of having walk-ins only? Well, I guess the decision sort of stemmed from that um, idea of wanting to keep that pop-up feeling alive, I guess. So we want it to be fast and exciting. Um, we want it to be accessible, I guess, for anyone to just walk in off the street um, without having to make a booking. Um, we'll, you know, we'll try this system out for a little while and if it does sort of feel like we need to um, bring bookings in, we will. But for the moment, it's kind of really exciting to not know what's going to walk in the door every night. Well, it's pretty exciting uh, what you're doing there. Um, what are the plans at the moment? You obviously got sort of three months ahead, but are you looking sort of beyond that at the moment? I mean, we're we're pretty focused on just getting through the next three months at the moment. Um, but I mean, opening a permanent place is definitely something that's on our radar. It's something we'd like to explore. Um, and this project, I guess, is really just um, a proof of concept for us. We just want to try a bunch of different ideas at this venue see what people like, get feedback from the customers um, and just sort of keep fine-tuning our concept so we can give people the best experience. Well, you're on one of arguably the most exciting restaurant strips in Australia at the moment. Um, mm. what, what do you love about what you do? I think I love the people more than anything. Um, there are so many incredible people working in this industry that, that really have a shared passion um, for food and beverage and service um, and the people I've met along the way have been absolutely incredible and inspirational. Um, obviously, I love personally love cooking. I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of it but at the end of the day, it's really for, for our customers. All we really want to see is happy faces at the end of a meal and that that really gives us a lot of satisfaction. It's very rewarding for us so that's yeah, really why we do it and why we love it. Well, Ali, it's very exciting what you're doing and look forward to seeing what you bring to the table from here on. And we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.